Just a few moments ago, I received a text message, and I think, you know, at times, at times we come into the sanctuary and we believe that, you know, we're all in here together, and this is all that's kind of happening here at First Baptist is what's right in here, but I don't know if you can turn around, but we have a couple cameras back there and some cameras around, and every Sunday, uh, this service is broadcast out to uh, multitudes of people, both at home and it's on uh, the, the following week on WSFA, and so this service reaches uh, into the thousands upon thousands of people. And this morning, as our 8.30 service was going on during the middle of the service, I usually don't read my text messages as stuff is going on, but I just peered down and I read these words and I thought it's encouraging to know what's happening here uh, is taking place in uh, the living rooms of our church members, in nursing homes, in people's homes as they are not able to come back right now. Worship is still happening all across our city all across our state, all across our nation. I heard a group of believers gather together in Pakistan and watch our church services. It's really remarkable, but this morning I just received this message. Even though I am hundreds of miles away right now, I feel like as I'm there right with my church family in the sanctuary praising our glorious God and celebrating how good he is, praying for more and more lives to be sold out for Christ. It's just simply beautiful. This morning, it's a wonderful reminder that the work of the Lord continues to go forward, even in the middle of uncertain and changing times. And so this morning, I am just so thankful that we have gotten to witness 150 students here in our sanctuary getting to praise the Lord and worship alongside this band to see what it means to follow Jesus. And so this morning, if you'll turn your attention to Mark chapter 1, if you'll open on up your Bibles and pull out your outlines that you received when you walked in, uh, just a little word of, uh, I don't know, a cheat code uh, to know that you probably can fill out every one of these blanks before I even get to give them to you. There are context clues on your sheet uh, that you can probably fill these out. So your job is not so much to fill in the blanks as is to use the blank space to fill in whatever words hit you in your heart. And my job is to give you something to put down on the sheet of paper, not just so that you put stuff down on the sheet of paper, but as we leave this place, our hearts are flooded with God's word so that we can leave here differently than when we came in. That is the constant goal of our gatherings, not to come and sing some pretty songs and some happy songs, not to hear some more scripture or recite scripture. We want to be different. Our calling is to look more like Jesus every single day. That's why we encourage you to have a quiet time so that you can get on the right track with the Lord early in the morning, while we encourage you to pray without ceasing, while we encourage you to hide God's word in your heart so that we don't day after day after day after day go through the motions of religious routine, but we look more like the image of Jesus in our lives so that we can radiate his gospel to all people at all times. So this is our goal this morning, is that this will be an opportunity for us to grow more into his image. And so let's start here. Uh, We finished in Mark chapter 1, verse 8 last week. So we find ourselves in Mark chapter 1, verse 9 this morning, systematically working through the book of Mark. So let's see what we've got. The first is the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, and Jesus beginning his ministry. I just gave you all the answers. So let's go in verse 9. Let's start right here. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. 
The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and while he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us. Lord, we want to look more like you. We want these words to hit us in our hearts, and we want to change because, because of them. So Lord, be with us now as we open your word. Would we receive it with open hearts to go and do likewise? In your name we pray. Amen. The first thing that we come to is the baptism of Jesus. So we read 9 through 11 is Jesus' baptism, this incredible moment where Jesus is baptized under the water and he raises to walk and the spirit descends on him like a dove. And in this moment, you see a, a depiction and a present reality of the Trinity. At no other place in scripture do you see the words the Trinity mentioned and it's something that we hold to and cling to as believers. But here you see the Trinity manifest. You've got Jesus, the Son of God, here being baptized. You've got the Spirit of God descending like a dove onto Jesus. And you've got the Father speaking, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This beautiful, incredible moment of our, of our faith to, remind, to remind ourselves of the good news of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together in one place. And the Father being in, uh, delighted in his Son being baptized. Now, you may ask the central question that I was drawn to is why here is Jesus being baptized? Was he baptizing as a repentance for his sin? And all God's people said, no. If you were to say yes, we'd have a bigger problem, right? So no, Jesus is not coming to be baptized for forgiveness for his sins because we know that Jesus was sinless and perfect. And up to this point and even after, Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. So his baptism was not for the forgiveness of sins or for the repentance of sins. In fact, in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, I don't think I can baptize you, Jesus. I don't think I'm, I'm really able or I'm the one to baptize you in anything. You should baptize me. I mean, we look at verse 8 last week and he says, uh, or verse 7 says, I'm not even really worthy to stoop down and untie the sandals of Jesus. So why would I be baptizing him? We go back to Matthew chapter 3 and we see that Jesus says, I am to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. That Jesus in this moment was being baptized to take on the demonstration that he was taking on the sins and would take on the sins of the entire world. That he was taking on your sins and my sins in the cross. He was identifying with us in our sin. Yes, Jesus would sin not once, but he would on the cross take on the sins of the entire world. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, all of your sins were taken onto him in that moment. Your sins, my sins, and man alive, there's a lot of sins in this room. Can I get an amen? We've all sinned, fallen well short of the glory of God. So on that cross, Jesus took all of our sins collectively in this room, on the computer. For those of you watching, he took your sins too, and he took the sins of the whole world on the cross. So Jesus being baptized, identifying with us, fulfilling all righteousness. And God is well pleased in Jesus being baptized. So much so that this voice booms from heaven. The, the heavens opened up or torn open and God calls down, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
Now, this is a continual theme that we see both in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This voice comes down from heaven. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This gospel writer is telling us clearly that Jesus is not a teacher, a prophet, just another good person to come and live, that this is the Son of God, that we must, in essence, do something with this knowledge. That this is not just some guy coming to live a good life. That this is the Son of God, divine Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And so Mark doesn't give us a whole lot here. In essence, in, in just a few short verses, we have what other gospel writers spend multiple verses talking about. But for us, we just see this voice come from heaven and say, this is my Son, who am I am well pleased and so we need to understand that Mark wants us deeply to understand the theological implications of Jesus being divine and God's Son. That Jesus would take on our sins, that he would die in your place and my place so that we can have eternal life. That he did conquer the grave, that he did defeat death and sin and win our victory. But there's something here that's a little bit important, too. As Baptists, as people who believe in baptism, that we baptize people by immersion, you see Jesus here baptized by immersion. You see in verse 10, and he came up out of the water. Friends, this is why we baptize you up in the baptistry behind the big R. We baptize people by immersion to remind us of what Jesus has done. Right? I want you to think back for a moment to your baptism. Think back, maybe you were baptized right up here. Maybe you are baptized over in Stakely Sanctuary. Maybe you are baptized in a creek, a pool, or a bathtub. It really doesn't matter. D take yourself back to that moment that you were baptized. Do you recall what happened? You weren't baptized in miracle water or it wasn't some holy water that you were baptized in. It was probably ordinary bath water or ordinary tap water, just simply ordinary water. But the symbolism behind what happened in that moment is breathtaking. That in that moment when you were plunged beneath the water, you were identifying with Jesus being buried after his death, symbolizing the water washing over you, taking all of your sins away, and that you were raised to walk in new life. That you're baptized symbolizes that you're dying to yourself, to your flesh, to your sin. That you're dying to yourself in all the ways in which you could try to make it on your own. You're dying to yourself and confessing that without Jesus, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. But God has raised you to new life. So this baptism that we enjoy, the baptism that we, we talk a lot about as Baptists, that you're immersed, reminding you of coming you out of the water and walking in newness of life. I pray that's what happened to you as you called upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as you walked forward in believer's baptism, as you were reminded of that moment, that you were plunged beneath the water and that you were raised to walk in new life. Friends, in this incredible moment, you have this huge moment of the voice coming from heaven. You are my beloved son, the spirit coming down from heaven, this torn open clouds coming down and descending onto Jesus like a dove, the Holy Spirit coming down. What an incredible moment. And we could preach a great sermon and that would be fantastic. And we would celebrate Jesus being baptized. We should all be baptized. And that's the end of the story. But we get right next to verse 12. And what happens? The very same spirit that descended on Jesus like a dove. That very same spirit you see in verse 12, immediately, without much time passing, immediately drove Jesus 
to the wilderness to be tempted and tried. This is interesting. That this incredible moment of the voice coming down, this great, incredible spiritual moment in our lives and in the life of Jesus right here, this huge moment, this spirit coming down, the same spirit that comes down drives Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted. We need to internalize this. We need to understand how often this is a reality in our lives. You've heard it here, Jay often talked about the devil coming after the dove. Now, I can't say that this is a universal spiritual law, that every time you have a seminal, wonderful moment in your faith, you're always going to be undercut by a terrible spiritual challenge. But I can tell you in my own life, it's happened time and time and time again. Can I tell you, when I took my first pastorate at Argo Baptist Church several years ago, they had this little tiny rural church in Argo, Alabama, known for its drive-in movie theater and selling uh, the gasoline that doesn't have any of the other stuff in it. I can't remember what it's called, just a pure gasoline. That's what it was known for. There's not much going on in Argo Baptist Church, but I was called to pastor this little church, and I, was, I just felt so strongly that the Lord was calling me there. He, he set all these things in motion. He orchestrated this wonderful opportunity for me to take over uh, for this long-term pastor that had been there for almost 30 years, and here was this 23-year-old guy coming into Argo Baptist Church, and the day that they called me to be their pastor, I remember writing in my journal, man, I feel the Lord's presence. I know that he is with me, and I cannot wait to walk with with him through this challenge. I, mean, I just, I knew it. I was so ready, so on fire for what the Lord was going to call me to. It was not uh, weeks later that it felt like every possible wheel on the wagon of life fell completely off. It felt like everywhere I turned, the Lord was just taking stuff. And the times where I wanted him to say yes, he was saying no. Within the, a few weeks, my mom was diagnosed with a very aggressive stage four pancreatic cancer. It, it seemed like a week later, our house was broken into for the second time and our house just ransacked and so many things taken from us. We felt like we, we wanted to go in this direction. We felt like the Lord was calling us to and he just kept taking stuff from us. I remember just saying, God, what are you going to do next? What, what, what purpose do you have? I'm trying to follow you and do what you're calling me to do. Then why are you doing all this bad stuff to me? I'm supposed to be a little protected here, right? I'm following you, so help me out here, right? Have you ever been there before? Have you ever felt like, Lord, I'm following you. I'm doing what you want me to do. Why do you keep testing me and challenging me? Or why are you allowing the devil to allow these things into my life? I mean, maybe you've experienced some of this in your life. Maybe Sunday morning is the time when you feel as a family, Lord, we're trying to go to church together. We're trying to be together as a family. Then why are these kids acting like fools, man? You ever felt that? You just, Lord, why, why are you allowing my kids to act like Looney Tunes in here? And I'm just trying to do your will. I'm coming to your house, man. You help me here. And you get frustrated and angry. Maybe you've come back from a marriage retreat at some point, and it feels like the next day every frustrating thing in your marriage just comes to a head, and you're fighting and frustrated. Can I tell you, I recall back to my time at Disciple Now and Youth Camp and Choir Tours. Those times where I would feel like I was on a mountaintop experience with the Lord. It was so often those times coming back from those mountaintop experiences that I felt like the devil would tempt in every way possible. And here, friends, you see Jesus having this incredible moment of faith. This incredible moment where he is following so closely, the voice coming down, and immediately 
immediately the Spirit drives him to be tested in the wilderness for 40 whole days. So I want to give you just this this quick word of encouragement. Don't be discouraged if this happens in your life. If you step out in faith, if you do the big things the Lord is calling you to, if you go with the Lord, if you do things that are hard for the Lord, if you rely on your faith to take you to places that you didn't think you could go, if you're trying new things, if you're starting new things for the Lord, expect the devil to come in and try to undercut everything you're doing. Expect it. It's coming. It will come. When you stand for the Lord, when you follow him, when you believe and trust in him, when you do hard things for the Lord, right around the corner is the devil saying, "Uh uh-uh, not happening. When you and your husband or wife, when you try to reconcile after uh, just hard periods of life, know the devil is there to discount and discredit what you're trying to do. When you try to stand for the Lord in your workplace, know the devil is there to try to undercut the foundations of what you're trying to do, to whisper lies into your ears. But the good news, friends, is we have Jesus. I want to invite you to write down the, these scripture passages, Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, and Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For me, this is incredibly encouraging as we walk through hardships and temptations and struggles and strife. You look to verses like this to remind you of the God that we have in Jesus. Therefore, in verse Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself had suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let me say that again. Because he himself had suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Continue on to Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Do you get that? Do you hear that, friends? That because Jesus was tempted and tried in every way as we were, we have a faithful and just high priest so that we can walk to him. We can run to him. We can crawl to him and we can find help and grace and mercy in our time of need. So often, and I'll tell you in my life, when I, when I feel temptation coming, I feel just maybe angst and maybe I feel embarrassed or anxious about it. And so I like to turn from him and say, when I get myself figured out, then I'll come back. But what do you see? Not Jesus saying, get it together, people. But Jesus saying, I know what it's like. I've been tempted. I've been tried in every way. So I'll give you hope and, and encouragement and, and freedom and mercy and grace in the midst of it. So draw near confidently to the throne of grace. This is so encouraging for us that we don't have a God who just says, figure it out, get it together with a condemning tone, but one who says, draw near. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He can sympathize with us. He understands what it's like to walk as we walked. And even though he was without sin, he still empathizes. He still calls us to draw to him. So, Friends, today, when you feel the struggle, the hurt, the, the temptation, know that you have Jesus who beckons and calls you to him who gives mercy and grace and forgiveness to us. So the worst thing that you can do is walk away and turn away from him and just say, I'll get my life together before I come back to him. Let me just say another word because I think that this is, this is to my heart tonight, this morning. 
And I believe that Jesus calls us to big and great things for him, to walk faithfully with him, to trust in him. And I don't want to discourage you and say, if you step out in faith today, if you walk out of these doors and you begin to do great things for the kingdom, simple things for the kingdom, like preaching and proclaiming his name and sharing the gospel everywhere you go and just telling people about Jesus and living with a bright gospel light, I'm sorry to say that you will not be immune from hardships and struggles. I I wish that I could say that everything would just be perfect. I wish I could say that there would be no attacks of the evil one, that there would be no attacks by Satan. But can I tell you how you can insulate yourselves from the enemy's attacks? Can I tell you this morning how you can uh, just insulate yourself from the devil attacking the foundations of who you are? It's to simply do nothing. It's to come comfortably into church and sit and listen to another sermon and do nothing about it. It's to put your Bible on the shelf and not think anything of it, to not speak the gospel, not proclaim the gospel, not to live like the gospel has affected you, to simply go through the motions of everything Christian and just sit and soak and sour. The devil has no reason to attack. So I pray that we are a people who face hardships, face trials and tests and struggles. Can I tell you, as I look back over that month of my life when it felt like the wheels of the world were falling off, I look back in those moments where the Lord taught me what it meant to rely and trust in Him with everything that I am. I look back on those seasons and I realize what peace of God that surpasses all understanding felt and looked like. I got to experience the Lord walk with me in ways that I had never experienced in my life. Now, would I wish that I would walk through those things again? Absolutely not. But as the Lord allows things in your life, know that He does it for your good. He does it to produce fruit in you so that you shine and proclaim the good news of the gospel in ways that you otherwise might not be able to. Friends, recognize that the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus comes, and then the very next thing that happens in Mark's gospel is that Jesus begins his ministry. How neat that you go from the baptism to the temptation to Jesus' beginning of his ministry. What an incredible unfolding where other gospel writers would give so much speak to. Mark just simply says the baptism happened, the temptation happened, and then now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. John's work was essentially completed. John's calling was to be a preparer of the way for the Lord, and John has prepared the way of the Lord. He has been baptized, and Jesus is beginning his ministry, and now John has been arrested, and you know what happens here to John, and Jesus just simply comes into Galilee, and he proclaims a simple message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God with him, and he simply says, repent and believe the gospel. Friends, there's a lot of things that I could say at this point, but I want to simply keep it simple like Jesus did. I want to be as blunt as I can possibly be with you this morning. I want to ask you simply, simply to repent and come to Jesus. I believe in a sanctuary of this size and knowing that we have many people watching today, I know that there are some people here, even in this room, who have been in church for many, many years and you're relying on your morals to get you into heaven. You're relying on your good deeds, your good works. You're relying on your church attendance to make your way into heaven. But friends, do you know that if you died today that you would spend an eternity with God in heaven? Do you know that? And friends, if you don't, there's no other way that I can say, but you must repent of your sins and come to faith in Jesus. Believe the gospel. 
Can I say, stop putting it off. Stop waiting until the next day. Stop waiting until the next month, the next year to get your spiritual house in order. Today is the day to repent and believe in Jesus. Today is. Today is the day of salvation. So friends, in this room, right now, I would ask, do you know? Do you know in your heart of hearts that you know Jesus? And I wish that I could tell you that there's a multitude of ways in which you would just believe in these ways that you could make it to heaven. If you would just, maybe you'll have a chance to reincarnate and come back again. Maybe you'll have another shot. Maybe there's other ways to heaven. Can I tell you there is simply one way to heaven? It is not your moralism. It's not your citizenship. It's not anything other than believing in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, calling upon his name. And so we admit we're sinners, we, we believe that Jesus is God's Son, and we call and confess the name of Jesus. This is how we have assurance of our salvation. So friends, in the same way that Jesus simply said, repent and believe in Jesus, I am calling us this morning to repent of our sins and believe and trust in Jesus. Believe in this good news of the gospel. As the band comes up, I want to lead us in a time of invitation. Again, you know that we come to this time not simply to fulfill a moment in our service. We give us the opportunity to, to respond to that which we've heard. Maybe it's something in your Bible fellowship class. Maybe it's something that you've heard preached or sung this morning that you say, it's stirring in my heart. I need to, I need to talk to somebody. I need to share this with somebody. You know that there'll be a number here on the screen in just a moment that you can call or text in. For those of you at home, we have some of our ministerial staff who answer those phone calls, who respond to those text messages. If you have needs, we would love to walk alongside you and help and encourage you and pray with you this morning. No, I'll be at their front along with Justin and Kenny. We would love to pray with you or encourage you. Maybe you want to join this wonderful family of faith. We would love to have you. Maybe you need to ask Jesus into your heart to, to save you and take away your sins. Maybe it's time for you to repent and believe the good news of the gospel. I'll be here at the front. would love to talk to you and pray with you. And know that this altar is open and we invite you to respond. Would you stand now? Let me pray for us and then we'll have a time of invitation. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that you love us and that you care for us. Lord, right now as we sing, I surrender all, I pray that that is the cry of our heart, that we surrender all that we are to you. Lord, that we give you all that we are, all that we're holding back. Lord, I pray that we lay it on the altar of our hearts and give it as a sacrifice to you, saying, Lord, you take me, use me in any way that you have. We know so often as we try to stand for you, Lord, we know that we're not immune from the strife and strain that the devil often follows the dove. Lord, protect us, guide us, lead us, and direct us in whatever way that you would have. And let us respond now as we sing. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and respond the way the Lord calls you?